Good evening, Element City Church. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, we're so excited to see um, all of your faces. If you're joining in with us online um, or later on this week, we're just so happy and delighted that you're willing and in and, um, and anticipation of what God's message is going to be for you. So thank you all for being here. Before we get started, as you know, you came in through another door. We're having some plumbing issues. So the restrooms in the back do not work. Um, um, so if you need to use the restroom, um, please uh, find your way outside, either um, into the gym or go to um, the doors next to where kids' check-in is at if you need to use the restroom. No judgment here um, if you need to sneak out and leave um, to go use the restroom. Um, so just a heads up on that one. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love about Element City Church is that we are a church of connecting with one another. Um, and we do that several ways here, including connecting on the app. So if you haven't done so, if you're online, you're watching online, you want to do it, you can download the Element City app and find out about new events. You can find about how to uh, connect with one of us. You can find out about, uh, you can read along with sermon notes. There's all sorts of things on there that you can do to get connected um, and just stay connected with us. Um, if you're online right now, hello, uh, we have online hosts who you can connect with. Um, they can pray with you, they can walk through the sermon with you, and um, and you can uh, ask them questions along the way, so please feel free to get engaged with the hosts online. Um, and you can also fill out a connection card, so if you're new with us, regardless if you're in here or if you're online, you can text hello to 520 340-6868 um, and get connected that way. You're going to get a couple of uh, follow-up text messages and phone calls and things like that. Again, we just want to connect with you, and that's a beautiful part of Element City Church that I'm so proud of. Um, one other cool thing is that we're not just connected with one another, we're connected with other churches. And our church is a part of a larger group that that prays for one another. So we every week we pray for the church of the week, and this particular week we're praying for New Life Community Church um, of the Nazarene, excuse me, with uh, Pastor Kurt Lunsford. So um, if we, uh, if you can just keep them in mind, uh, lift their uh, their community up as well, and uh, and let's get, uh, give uh, one good prayer to get this evening started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here, to giving us the courage to come. Uh, we ask that you lift our spirits, you open our hearts, and, um, and you work through us, work in us as we listen to your message. We pray for a new life community, Church of Nazarene. We pray for Pastor Lensford. We ask that you lift them up as well. And we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand up tonight. Let's put those hands together as we go forward and worship. It's a little bit cool in here, right? Feels good. Come on, you know it. Oh, don't lose heart. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Don't give up. There is hope. There is always hope. In the storm, in the storm, 
you to close your eyes right now. We've been talking about vision and what God's calling us to do as a church, as individuals. And maybe just take a moment. What has God been calling you to do? What's he been laying on your heart? We're just gonna sing some melodies and we're gonna create just a little bit of space just for you to encounter God right now. Maybe it's to go forward and surrender. Maybe it's to take that challenge that he's put before you. Maybe he's telling you to pray for a specific person in your life. Whatever that is, let's just give that to God right now.
tonight, Lord. Would you stir in our hearts tonight? Would you continue to move tonight, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat, thank you. Every Sunday, we want to gather uh, as the church, whether you're gathering with us online or gathering here in the room, uh, you all got to use the back door tonight. Uh, That means you're real family, and uh, glad that you're here, especially if you are new, and uh, just maybe this is your very first Sunday or first Sunday tuning in online. We're thrilled uh, that you would trust a little bit and and take a little bit of a leap, and we're praying that every Sunday we'd we'd gather that would just uh, be a Sunday that would stir your heart, where God would minister to you. And so just housekeeping for those of you who are in the room, a reminder, if you need a restroom, uh, these are off limits for right now. The water main, hopefully will get fixed this week. We do have air conditioning. That's a nice thing. How many of you were here last Sunday in the room for Sweaty Sunday? Yes, it will henceforth be known as Sweaty Sunday. You all survived, and uh, Jesus loves you more. Um, so I, I don't know if that's true, but he loves you all the same. Um, but you survived and, and endured with us. A lot of you joined us online last week. So um, again, if you missed any of the last two Sundays, kind of um, Micah was talking about as we've been talking about vision, mission, I just want to encourage you strongly to go back in the app uh, and listen and lean in, worship again uh, the last two Sundays. We, so we talked about mission and vision and kind of where we're going as a church, where we feel like God's kind of called us to focus the next five to 10 years and chase after it together with him. And so uh, it'll be real important for us all be on the same page with that. Sound good? Fair? Okay, good. So tonight we are launching into a brand new series. We, every so often throughout the year, uh, will do some, uh, what we call biblical literacy, meaning we're going to take you through a book of the Bible. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to go theme by theme and topic by topic and principle by principle in it, and we think that that is a good way to help people grow in biblical literacy. And so Living Hope is the name of this new series, looking at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which is in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your Bible on your phone, you can open it up. If you have the app, you can download and kind of go down right down to sermon notes, and you'll be able to follow along with us tonight. And Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, which is a fascinating place. And there's a lot going on in this church and a lot going on in the first century. This letter actually arrives around 51 AD, about a year, year and a half maybe after this church plant got started in the city of Thessalonica. Paul and Silas uh, and Timothy kind of got this thing launched and going. And then Paul kind of gets kind of pushed out. We'll look at that. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17. He has to go on the run and he eventually sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check in on this church, this church plant that they had planted and kind of got the wheels going and had to leave suddenly. And so he's writing back now after Timothy's report to that. So what this church is wrestling with in a lot of ways, if we just kind of look at it from a 30,000 foot view, is they are faced with opposition against their faith. That the culture around them is kind of pressuring them to, to kind of forego their faith, to not follow after Jesus. I mean, things have changed in the last 2,000 years, right? 
sarcasm. Okay, uh, so like opposition is a reality that you face. It's a reality that I face. It's a reality that we face together. And, and so I think some of the lessons and truths and things that we'll see in these couple letters as Lyle and I will teach through this over the next couple months. We'll spend some time here. Uh, we did this last summer with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, every so often we'll do an Old Testament, New Testament. We just want to help people's biblical literacy to understand that the scriptures speak to us and are here and now. One of the tensions that was a part of the day back then in like 51 AD, back Back in kind of that first century after Jesus, so to speak, that this tension of you've heard it said and I've heard it said, hey, you can't ride the fence, right? You've got to choose this or that. You can't just ride the fence on decisions. And so, so many of your decisions, so many of my decisions is about kind of getting off the fence and, and making a decision in that. Uh, maybe you've heard that you can't be in two places at once. How many of you have tried to be in two places at once? Yeah, we kind of live our life that way in a lot of ways. But you can't be in two places at once, or can we? Like, the reality is you navigate tensions and you navigate the tensions of both realities. If I do this, then maybe this is going to occur. If I do this, then maybe this is going to occur. And you have to wade through the nuance of navigating those tensions. So maybe we're more adept in this than we think. Anyone ever been to the Four Corners area before? Uh, I think I have a picture here. As a kid, I remember going here. This is the only place in the continental U.S., and I think one of the, if not the only, one of the few in the entire world where you can literally be in four states at the same time. Because I remember as a kid sprawling out with one arm in Utah, one in Colorado, and then, you know, it's Arizona, one leg, and, and doing that and having my parents take a picture, right? Because this was the place where you could be in four places at one time, Until you actually read that, I don't know if that is actually the place that that happens. They just built that there. It may be a few feet further. But anyway, that's beside the point. In theory, you can be in four places at once. And it's this interesting thing. And I think what Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica is to understand the tension. Uh, to, to be a people that are followers of Jesus. And now, you may be here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of spiritually searching things out. And I think, it's, I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're owning your spiritual journey and, and kind of wrestling with, okay, where, who is God and what, what is this whole thing about? And I feel like I need more in life. And, and we want to be a safe place where you don't, have to, you don't have to believe to belong. And that you can actually be on your own spiritual journey investigating that. For a lot of people here, for, for a lot of us, we've kind of come to that place where we say, you know, Jesus is the real deal. And what he has to say about life is not only transform me and change me, but it's, it's continually changing me in those next steps of faith with him. And what he has to say about life. And, and what Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul writing to this church early on in their faith journey, is saying, listen, you're in the midst of a reality of what's going on around you where you've got to manage attention. You've kind of got to be a person who is living in the world. Elsewhere in scripture we read this, that we're people in the world, but we're not of the world. And you've got to navigate this tension of, okay, you're living in the, the current here and now reality, but there is something that is to come. The hostility and persecution of people opposing your faith, and yet living as a Christian who has a future hope, and I'm navigating the not yet really or not yet reality in my current reality, but I live in the reality of both. 
that I live with this hope that Jesus has not only secured me for today, but he holds me for all of my tomorrows, and I have the promise of heaven. And so I get to live with the hope of that reality, but at the same time, I'm navigating the not yet, the, the reality of this moment, and all the tensions and opposition and struggles that come with that. And so you have to do that, and so do I, as a follower of Jesus. And so we're invited into this place and this pace that as a follower of Jesus, we kind of live with one foot in this world and another foot in the world to come. And the realities that mark that, and, and that the, the truth is we have to live in the tension of both. That's how we're fully engaged in life and life with God and the here and now and the life to come. That we should always live with an awareness of reality. And, and Paul's going get to get to that in the reality of this, this letter, First and Second Thessalonians. And so it's, it's this challenge that if you live with that double perspective, you actually get to live in a, a wise way that would help you follow after God and kind of live in the way of Jesus. And so it begins to shape our priorities. It influences our schedules and our dreams for our children, our decisions for work, our concerns for our neighbors. It fuels our heart for the gospel that we want people to know Jesus and experience the love that we have found. And so these letters are written to a people who are living in the present moment but also living in the shadow and the perspective of an eternity that is secured for them. And so the author of these letters is Paul. I told you briefly that uh, if you want to understand this letter, read Acts chapter 17. That's kind of the start uh, of this uh, church plant in Thessalonica that Paul and Silas and Timothy launch. They get it going. There's a kind of an upheaval that goes on, and some of the Jewish leaders begin to accuse Paul because Paul was saying, hey, Jesus is Lord. And what's fascinating in the first century is if you said Jesus is Lord, well, there's another reality that is supposed to be said that Caesar is Lord. And so when you start saying that Jesus is Lord, well, then people start accusing and saying, no, oh, no, you're preaching like a, a new gospel, not the gospel of Rome, but like a, a new gospel of something, and that's different. And like you're, again, opposed to the state of Rome then, and you're going against the mighty Roman. Woo, 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 woo. You don't want to do that. And so there's this opposition, this mob actually rises up, and Paul flees in the middle of the night, heads out, and so Timothy with him. And eventually, a few months later, he sends Timothy back to get a report about how this church is doing. And so in setting this scene, this is this reality that Timothy's coming back to, and he's trying to find out, is this church making it? Are these people living, because they're facing persecution, they're facing opposition to their faith, how are they doing? And so he comes and investigates. He comes back and reports to Paul. And then Paul sits by the power of the Holy Spirit and writes 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, some of his earliest writings, uh, back to these church, or to these people, to this church. Paul was greatly distressed about leaving them, and now he's writing back, and he, he begins. And all of Paul's letters, if you read through them, begin with this idea of, okay, gratitude for what's going on. He may have a challenge for them, an invitation for them, especially the Corinthian church. He had a lot to say uh, to them because they were a mess, and, and this reality of what was going on. And so for the church of Thessalonica, he's got such a dear place in his heart for these people because of what he's seeing and what he's hearing about these people who are beginning to live out this very authentic faith in Jesus, beginning to live in the way of Jesus and how they live and the impact it's having around them. They live with an authenticity 
that Paul and Timothy and other leaders around the world of the early church begin to see, begin to hear about. The reputation of this church precedes it. And this is authentic faith. I don't know, anyone ever watch uh, Antique Roadshow? I don't know if it's even still going, but it's on reruns, and, and my wife got me into that because I love it. No, I, I love her. And uh, we, we watched that, and, and part of the, the deal with that is when they would come up to the appraiser. Some of you love this stuff. I, I know one guy in this room who just, like, you eat this stuff up, and it's awesome because you're amazing at it. Uh, but, like, this one, this idea of how you authenticate something is you're looking for the nuance of the color, uh, the year. Maybe there's a special stamp on the pottery. Maybe there's something that's been in there, and you can do the research to find out its authenticity, and you can also do the research to find out if, if it's a forgery, if it's just kind of been uh, mocked up in a way to look similar, but it's not really the real thing, and that's when an appraiser begins to look at, to say, listen, uh, I want to know the authenticity. If we have an authentic relationship with God, if the gospel has taken root in our lives, there are certain things that should be present within our lives, that if they're not present or not readily active, then, then friends, maybe there's a forgery afoot. Uh, because we can all mirror things, we can all mask things for a while, but the reality is what you're looking for is a sense of authenticity. Uh, Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. As he writes about the fruit of the Spirit, maybe you've heard that, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and he writes about, hey, here, here's some things that should be on display in your life, that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, not just a fan of him, like, I appreciate what he did, and it's awesome, no, no, if you're like aligning your life with him, and beginning to live more and more kind of in the way of Jesus, and you've said yes to him, and his, his sacrifice, his life, his death, his resurrection has, has paved the way for you to have life with God, and now you're beginning to try to live in the flow of that, then, then these things should mark your life. He talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, it's not that those things are the only things on display in your life, uh, this side of heaven, we all live in a broken world. We're all broken people. You're cracked, so am I. <laughs> okay. Um, we're all broken, Like right? We all have parts of us that, that's just like we wish we're further along. We wish we're more mature. We wish we, we didn't resort back or fall back to that. But the reality is we still navigate in our fallenness and in our brokenness. But what if we actually begin to live more and more the fruit of the Spirit that those things marked our life more this year than maybe the last two years. Or maybe a decade from now, it would be more of the mark of reality of how I live than, than maybe it is even in this season of life. So Paul writes a lot about this in different letters. And in writing back to the church in Thessalonica, he points out a few things. And so what I'd like to do is read chapter 1. It's only 10 verses. So for some of you, you freaked out for a minute because you're like, a whole chapter? What? Yeah, it's 10 verses. I think we can do this. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to read with me. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I think it's, uh, there's really, there's lots of good translations. Uh, Christian Standard Bible is a good one. The ESV is a good one. I still like the NIV. But the New Living, I think, is written in a way that this will make sense to you. And so if you have the app, again, you can go to sermon notes and read along or find it on your Bible on your phone. Um, here's what it says. 
Yes, I have really small print. Okay, uh, this letter from Paul, Silas, Timothy, is written to the church in Thessalonica. You who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may his grace and peace be yours. May his grace and his peace mark your life and fuel you, he's saying. Verse two, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk uh, to you, uh, uh, sorry, as we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, your con- uh, continual anticipation of his return, this hopeful endurance, one translation talks about it, the return of the Lord Christ, uh, Jesus. We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that he chose you to be his own people. For when uh, we brought the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. They lived out what they preached. They, they walked what they talked. Verse 6, so they received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering that is brought on you and in you that you're suffering and having. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all Christians in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves keep talking to them about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from the idols that you used to serve, and now you serve the true and living God. They speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So Paul writes this letter, and he says, listen, I'm so confident in the authentic faith that I see in you. And I I see what's transpiring and how it's overflowing. And not only is there this ripple effect that's beginning to to impact other people, but we see it. And he's affirming to them. Verses uh, 3 and 4, he's kind of highlighting a few of those things. Not all of the things that should mark your life, but a few of them. He says, listen, you have this work of faith. In the Greek word there, it's literally, this, it's called erg. And it sounds like just like a, an emotion that you would express when you're frustrated. Like, erg. Um, but it is this unit of, uh, of measurement. It's this idea that this is really what marks you. It's this idea that this word and work are inseparable. And what he's referring to is Jesus. He's saying kind of what scholar Carl Barton said, the word and the work are inseparable in Jesus Christ. That you can't separate out the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus. See, if you separate out just the words, then you can say Jesus is a great teacher. And a lot of people make that claim. But Jesus made a bigger claim. He didn't say, I've come just to be a good teacher. He actually had much more to say. As he said, I've come to to make a way for people to have life with God. I've come to be the sacrifice that's needed in order to pave a way for there to be a right relationship with the holy and perfect God through faith in him. That's much more of a declaration than, okay, a good teacher, scholarly dude who knew a bunch of stuff and had some good stories. No. See, if you limit yourself to seeing Jesus as a teacher, then you're separating his words from his work, and you cannot do that 
and when it comes to Jesus. Because this is what is about your faith. And that's what Paul is saying. You, you've put your whole faith in what Jesus did and what he said. It is, it is something you're banking your life on. Every single one of you walked into this room. You sat down. Here's what I know didn't happen. No one walked into your red maroon-ish chair and said, Ooh, I don't know if I want to sit down. I don't know if it'll hold me up. No one had that thought. Everybody walked in here and said, okay, this is where I'll sit. And you sat down. You put your whole weight into it. That's what Paul's saying. You put your whole weight into this faith into Jesus and what he accomplished, what he says and what he did. You're living from that framework of understanding that the full weight of what Jesus accomplished and what he teaches is the basis for your life and for your faith. That that's what you're resting in. And now you're beginning to live out of that. Not out of your own effort to try to earn a right standing with God. Not out of your own effort in order to try to get brownie points with God. You are living out of a, a weight of living in full faith. Your work is in the work of Jesus and what he accomplished. And you rest in that. And now you live out of gratitude to express back this activity of faith. It's influencing and shaping who you now are and who you're becoming. It's impacting what you do and how you go about doing it. You labor in love, he says. This idea of labor in love is this way that of living a kind of life that puts love on display for everyone to bump into. That the love of Jesus is hopefully what people are experiencing when they walk away from interactions with you and with me. Now, I know and I'm willing to admit that is not always true. Ask my wife today in the kitchen. I blew it. I blew it. I owned it. I, I confessed to it. I know that's not the reality for me every time. But I want to get better at it. I, I want to be quicker to acknowledge when I blow it. I want to be quicker to say, oh, that, yikes. Um, if Jesus was in this situation, that's not how he would have reacted. That's how I react. That was my flesh. That was me. And so I want to live more and more in the rhythm of Jesus. And so would you, would you forgive me for that? I got to own that. I blew that. And so it's this reality of saying they labor in love. They, they want to be a better reflection more and more of Jesus. Jesus used this word, uh, this idea of labor. Remember early on in Matthew, as he said, come to me, all of you who labor. You understand. Labor in the New Testament term is, is sweaty work. It's heavy work. It's not like for the faint of heart, it's not light and easy. Love is heavy lifting. Love is hard work. It's a decision that you make based on the experience of God's love that you've received. And now you're willing to do the work, the labor of love. To love the people around you, even those who are maybe difficult or those that stretch you. And that doesn't mean you can't have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that. I think you should have healthy boundaries. Uh, but the truth is, sometimes to love folks, can we just all admit, that's hard? That's not always easy? 
And so to ask the question that so much of what the New Testament gets to is, hey, what does love require of me in this moment? Uh, that's, that's for people who are willing to do the work. That's what Paul's saying. You're, you're laboring in love. And you're not just laboring in like, and I tolerate, and I'm comfortable. When it gets uncomfortable, I eject. No, it's I'm laboring into this love. It's the story of Luke 10 in the Good Samaritan. Remember, Jesus told this story. Summarize it real quick. So there's this uh, man who's going down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, right? And, and, and he falls into the hands of robbers. And he's beaten uh, to inches of his life, left on the side of the road. And a priest and, and uh, a Levi go by. And they, they have religious duties. They're heading on their way. Uh, to perform those and to be a part of that. And so they feel like I can't contaminate myself because then I will not be allowed to do what I need to do in a religious context. And so they pass over to the underside. And then the most hated person for Jews, the Samaritan, the ones that their people could not even stand, they hated one another, says he, he was moved with compassion. Jesus tells the story. Spalignia is this idea of, of movement within your bowels. Like, to be moved deep within. Uh, we've all had movements like that. And so it's this idea of like you're moved to the point, that's what compassion literally means. It's the most described emotion of Jesus in the New Testament. As you read through the four gospel accounts, the most described emotion of Jesus is compassion. This idea of being moved to want to respond. And so the Samaritan crosses the road. He goes and he picks up, he puts oil, begins to have first aid, puts him on his own transportation, takes him to the hotel. It pays for the fixing up of him as he has to go navigate some other things, comes back and he, he takes care of this person because he's moved. It's a labor of love. It's what moved his heart. It's a labor of compassion. And friends, does that mark your life? I'm not saying you have to fix everything in the world because you can't. But do you live with a rhythm of trying to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone? Do you live with a rhythm of being open and, and trying to be alert to the, the conditions and the scenarios and the situations around you that maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, uh, I'm at work here and I would love for you to partner with me. Because often we turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the things that I think God's bringing right across our path. That where you live, work, and play, there might be scenarios that unfold tomorrow and Monday that God wants to actually say, hey, I'm at work here and I want you to join me. Here's the grace part of this. If you miss it, guess what God's gonna do on Tuesday? Bring it back around or give you another opportunity to join him. God's not gonna beat you over the head because you missed it. But maybe the conviction of the Holy Spirit will say, hey, that was an opportunity. You missed it. Let's try better tomorrow. Let's get another opportunity because that's the invitation for us to join God in this labor of love. And Paul's writing to this church saying, hey, I see this in you. I see this as work within you. That's love. It's how love gets lived out loud for others to see and experience. We want to reflect the love of Christ in all we do and how we interact. That's what we talked about last week. 
It's very earthy in how it gets expressed. It's not pie in the sky. It's boots on the ground. It's nuts and bolts. It's the real reality of life. How can that do it? Listen to the lead of the Holy Spirit and how he might nudge you. Hey, what does love require of you in this moment? What is love inviting you to do and join him in in this season and in this, this way? Paul goes on, he says, listen, this idea of endurance, this endurance of hope marks your life, and I am so proud of you. That's what he's writing to this early church. This word, apameano, uh, is to, literally means hope. It's to hang in there. It means to stay under or hold on, to not give up, and to endure. It's the New Testament word that we see. When you read the word endurance, more often than not, it is that Greek word, meaning to hold on, to don't give up, to endure, to stay under, to hang on to this. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we have this hope that's like an anchor for our soul. It holds us. Even when opposition or persecution is pushing back against us, we don't have to budge. We may get pushed, but we don't have to be moved because we have this hope that helps us hold on. Even when the persecution or the opposition gets turned up. Now, let me be really clear. You live in America. So I want to be really, really, really clear here. You don't face persecution for your faith. You don't. I hear people talk about, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You go talk to Christians in China, Iran. You go talk to Christians in Ukraine right now. You go talk to Christians elsewhere in the world. Go talk to Christian brothers and sisters who live in North Korea. And then let's have a conversation. There is persecution of Christians, followers of Jesus, all over the world. We're told in Scripture to pray for them. Why? Because they're facing persecution. Here's what you maybe, might, kinda face. Some opposition. People who don't want to tolerate your faith. Don't see the need in it or the value in it. And they might push back and you might be irritated. Guess what? You're irritated. You're not persecuted. Those are two different things. And so I think we have to live with a filter, like a reality filter, that you don't have a flat tire because you're persecuted. Okay? Listen, I know the enemy is active to try to discourage. I have felt that in the last couple of weeks. But it's not persecution. It might be opposition. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And that's the framework we live with is, hey, we get to do this. We don't have to. We get to. And we're invited into this. Christian good news is solid enough that it can absorb the world's bad news and still maintain itself as good news. Eugene Peterson said that. It's this truth that even when we face bad news or challenging times, the good news of the gospel is we can face that. It absorbs that because the good news is better than any bad news we might face. The gospel is living and powerful and transforming. That's what Paul's saying to this early church. You was met by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's activated in you. And I see it living on display. 
And then authentic believers begin to share their faith and communicate their faith. These new believers embodied the truth and they acted upon it. They began to communicate the truth of the gospel to those around it. They openly shared the news of the gospel and it rang out from them, one translation says. Your faith is becoming known everywhere, it says in verse 8. It's ringing out. Listen, how cool would it be for someone to say of you 10 years from now, you know what? They live their faith in a way that it just, it rang out. It echoed. That's what that Greek word means. It echoed like thunder. You hear thunder. We just went through monsoons. And you'd hear thunder and how it echoes off the mountains and reverberates around. What if your life, the way you lived out an authentic faith in the ways of Jesus and following after him and kind of this labor of love, living with hope and this endurance of saying, hey, I'm going to live out of the faith that I have. I'm going to put it on display. That it began to echo to the people around you. How cool would that be to have that said of you? How cool would that be to have that said of us as a church? That they echoed this way of Jesus. They echoed this love of God and the ways of God. It just rang out from their presence. And every time I bumped into them, I experienced it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it wasn't just that we lived it in a way in the tangibles, in the earthy, nitty-gritty kind of ways. But we actually talked about it because it was a reality of our life. And so we introduced people to Jesus, not in a way of like, hey, you need Jesus. No, no, but in a way of like, man, Jesus is changing me. And I, I, I want you to have the hope I found. And you may not believe, and that's okay. You may not be there yet, but I'm just telling you, I wasn't there for a while either, but then I got there and somehow, I don't know what to tell you, but my life is transformed and different because of him. And I'm still trying to, like, I might have even spiritual whiplash. It happens so fast. But it, it's changed me in a way that it's beginning to, to have this ripple effect in my life. As you look back at the end of chapter 1, he's saying, listen, you used to give your whole life to these idols of the world around you, but you've turned away from that. An idol is anything that a human heart substitutes for God. It doesn't have to be a statue made of wood or stone that we read about in the Old Testament that people had. An idol is anything that we substitute for God. It could be money or power or status. It could be our work. It could be another person. It could be food, alcohol, sex, hobbies. It could be anything that we use to try to fill the emptiness of the human heart apart from a relationship with God. That's what an idol is. And what Paul's saying is you used to live that way. But I'm seeing this authentic faith where you've, you've turned away from that and you're living with this faith in God. These believers had turned to the true and living God and traded in all their affections to say, I'm for God and his best. And began to change and influence their life. And they lived with a forward future. They navigated one foot in this world and our here and now and the reality of here. But they also lived with one foot in the, in the hope that is to come. Jesus will one day show up and set all things right. He's coming back again. That's the truth of the scriptures and what they speak, what we'll see in this letter to Thessalonica. So these believers began to orient 
orient their whole heart toward the belief in both of those realities. God is with me in the here and now, and he has me securely in the future. And so I get to live with this hope. I get to live out of this foundation of faith. I get to live and labor with him in love. And I get to communicate the truth of this to the people around me. So here's just a closing thought, some questions to ponder. Is your faith in Jesus authenticated? Are you aligned with Jesus to live out his ways more and more this year than you were last year? Are you allowing him to grow you and thus radiate his love outward so that others can see it or bump into it? That you talk about him in some of your normal conversations because it's not taboo or it's not secret. It's just a part of you. And so it just naturally comes up. Not in a way of trying to beat people over the head with it, but a a way of saying, hey, God's on the move in my life and, and I long for God to be on the move in your life. Friends, you never know the impact of simply caring for others with the love of Jesus. You will have an opportunity this week. I'm convinced of this. The creator of the heavens and the earth who created galaxies that we're still discovering is big enough and intricate enough to actually find ways to cross your path with opportunities that he's already at work in people's lives. And he's saying, will you partner with me? He's going to give you an opportunity. So stay alert. Be open to that. And listen, if you miss it, that's fine. The sun will come up tomorrow. You get another chance to say yes to that. And what if we, as a people, began to live with that kind of expectation, that kind of anticipation? Say, God, we want to show your love and reflect your love to the people around us and to look for those opportunities. We've challenged you to, to, hey, what if you actually set a goal where you prayed with one person every single week? Not every day, and that might be a little daunting. What if you prayed with one person every single week? That's 52 times a year. We got 150 to 200 people. That's 7,500 plus people in a year that we get to just say, hey, can I just pray for you? And then you pray, listen, and don't be weird in your prayers, okay? Just a reminder, don't be weird in your prayers. And do not pray for five minutes. I should not even do that. And I went to seminary, and you didn't. But don't be weird, just pray for them. 30 seconds is what you get. Why? Because that makes you not weird. Okay, that's why you give yourself 30 seconds. Because if you go longer than 30 seconds, you're getting in the weird zone. (laughs) Just pray for people. I think people long to be prayed for. I think people are open for that. And if they're not, guess what? They'll tell you they're not. And you know what? When they walk away, you're going to still pray for them. (laughs) But if you have the opportunity to pray with someone... And then that encourages you the next week to actually follow up. Hey, I remember we prayed about that last week. How's that going with your family? How's that going with whatever the situation or circumstance might be? And it, it bonds your heart to someone. Why? Because you're laboring in love. You care about them. You're trying to live out your faith. You live with this hope that God can do what only he can do. 
and I can help with that, but we need God's activity in your life. And so I'm praying for that. That's what you're leaning into. You get to have a domino effect. What's fascinating, anyone ever played dominoes? Everyone, anyone ever done the domino chain where you set them up over the floor? As a kid, we used to do this in our house, we, in, in the kitchen floor. You couldn't really do it in the carpet because they'd fall over, but you'd do it on the kitchen floor. And, and the wood floor, the vinyl, and you'd set them up like just this long train. And then, and then one person, and it was always like your brother or sister who's like, I want to do it. And then like just a fight, and then it accidentally gets started. You just start over. Okay, but like one person, you're like, we're going to take turns. And then one person, right, they, they hit the first domino, right? And it begins to fall and hit all the others. And it's just round and round the room. It goes, you ever watch some of these on YouTube that are just so intricate? They're beautiful. They're breathtaking in that. Have you ever thought that Jesus was the first one to push the domino? That through his life and his death and his resurrection, most importantly, he set in motion the activity of God to have an effect among people. And as the church, we're now enfolded into that story to say, God, would you help me live with an authentic faith? I'm not going to get it right every time. Neither are you. I I need to own what I need to own, but I want to grow in that. And as I grow in that, friend, you never know the impact of your domino effect it can have on someone where you say, can I just pray for you? Hey, I know you're like super stressed right now. I know you just had a baby. Can I just bring over dinner? Hey, I know you've got this going on. Can I just come alongside here? I, I, I just want to show up and I'm just going to sit here with you because I know this is pretty challenging for you. You never know the domino effect that you can have on the people around you where you live, work, and play. And the invitation for us is to take God up on what he started. And Jesus, you started this. You set your church in motion to have an effect in the world around you. That's what Paul's writing to this early church plant. People are talking about you all over the world, not even just in Greece, where Thessalonica was. It's the second largest city in Greece today. It's not even just in this region. It's beginning to have an effect. Here's what Paul knew. He'd go to popular cities and start a church because he knew they would begin to have a ripple effect and begin to radiate out if it was authentic and real and guided by Jesus. Friend, you and I are enfolded into that dream. We get to be a part of being the church. This is a church building that doesn't have a water main right now. But this is a church building. That's all it is. You and I are the church. And we get to now go in about 10 minutes to be the church wherever you live, work, and play. And tomorrow you're going to have an opportunity to partner with God. Listen for it. Lean into it. Tuesday, if you miss it, it's going to come back around. Wednesday, he's going to bring it around again. Thursday, he's going to bring it around again. He will bring opportunities to you. Why? Because he is active and always at work. Jesus said, my father is always at work. I want to join him. You get to join him. We get to join him in that. And so live your authentic faith in a way that the people around you bump into it and see it, are changed by it, 
because it all originated from Jesus. It all flows from Jesus. It all goes back to Jesus because we got unfolded into that by the grace of Jesus. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And so, Father, uh, as we end tonight with uh, this song of worship, this song of just leaning into the truth of who you are, your presence, your activity, as we wrestle with this reality of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote so many uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago to this church in Thessalonica, that this church that had a people that were facing opposition and truly facing persecution for their faith, and that the culture around them was trying to squeeze them in a way to, to choose something different than following the ways of Jesus. And, and we live in a culture that's similar, tries to put the squeeze to, to have us cast aside that. But they live with an authenticity to their faith that they begin to have a ripple effect, a domino effect to the people around them. And Father, we want that to be said of our lives individually and the life of this church. This is your movement, the movement of Jesus, of his hope and his grace, his love. This is our season to steward that to tend that and to partner into that. So Father, in this next song, we give you this space that your spirit would maybe nudge our hearts, each one in this room, each one watching online. Maybe there would be a moment in this song as we sing to you. Maybe there's a, a phrase or something that, that jumped out in the scriptures we read through 1 Thessalonians chapter one. God, what do you have for us to hold on to? What do you have for us this week to say yes to? And this season of our life, whether we just started walking with you last week or we've been walking with you for several weeks on end, you have a next step for us. So Spirit, would you guide our time as we worship you and stir our hearts. Help us hear from you.
God is a wonder-working God, and may he be at work in wonderful ways with you and in you and through you this week. So a couple of quick things before we go. Uh, again, you're all family, so we get to leave out the back door tonight, um, and uh, don't trip and don't chase, there. and so uh, you can get your kids the same way if you need a restroom, uh, it's next door behind us. Uh, be thinking about jumping into one of our e-groups or discipleship groups. You can sign up for the discipleship groups. Uh, there's a sign up in the foyer at the table there. And this uh, Thursday, last Thursday, Wednesday, I sent an email to everybody. If you did not get it, it means we love you, we may know you, but we don't have your information. So we need you to fill out a connection card so we can make sure we get information. Like, uh, we send out, we have a bunch of things happen in the fall. You can find all the information in the app. One of those things, if you're interested in going to a Holy Land trip with us two years from now, um, we have an info meeting October 2nd. You can read all the information about that in the app. We'd love to invite you to consider that, pray into that. Uh, if you happen to be new, we're going to be at the 10-minute party, which is in the back, right back there. Uh, Karen's already there. So if you are new, uh, thanks for taking a chance on us. We've got a special gift for you. It's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. And we're not even country. I don't know why we say it that way. But listen, uh, dinner tonight is at Transplant Pizza. Deb, where is that? Speedway and where? Speedway and Swan. Transplant Pizza. You have phones and technology. Google it. Look it up. Um, and we're going to be there in about 20 minutes if you want to join a group that goes to dinner every Sunday night after that. Maybe I pray for us and we'll be out of here. God, we get to be the church now. So would you be on the move in wonder-working ways in our life because we need you and through us because this world needs you. Help us to put you on display with an authentic faith that people can bump into. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.